take out your Bibles, if you would, turn to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, within God's Word this morning, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, we'll be turning to both of those chapters this morning. If you'd like to follow along in a sermon study guide, please feel free to do so this morning. Again, it's a delight having you with us. I'll be positioned, my wife and I, at the south entrance this morning. If you brought a friend uh, or family members, I'd sure love to be introduced to them, uh, not because I'm important, because you're important. And uh, please stop by. I would love that so much uh, this morning. I love the story of the old preacher that wanted to find out what his son would make of himself in life. It's so interesting for me. Are you watching the primary process in the news? Uh, Republicans, Democrats, and those that have the ambition to uh, be president. And uh, finally, one will be left standing. Uh, This old pastor wanted to discover what his son would have a passion for to be in life. So he thought up an experiment. Here was his experiment. He thought, I'm going to leave three objects on my son's bedroom dresser, and I'll see which one he picks up and walks away with. I'll see which one he embraces. I'm going to leave a Bible on his dresser. If he walks away with the Bible, he's going to be a preacher. Thank God. I'm going to leave the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition on the bedroom addresser. If he walks away with that, oh, he's going to be a lecher. He's going to be a playboy. I'm going to leave a bottle of Jack Daniels. There on the dresser, if he walks away with that, if he embraces that, it's going to be a lush. Oh, Lord, help us. He hid in the bedroom closet. He was peeking through as his son came into the bedroom. The, the, the boy picked up the, the Bible, put it under his arm. He picked up, gazed a while at the Sports Illustrated, tucked that under his arm. He got the, the bottle of uh, Jack Daniels, took a swig from it. The old pastor in the, the bedroom closet said, Dear God, he's going to be a politician. <laughs> we often explain, we often explain, we often complain about the anti-Christian sentiment, the anti-God spirit that has so gripped these United States of America. But can you imagine being a Christian in the city of Rome in the first century A.D.? Can you imagine being a Christian under the rulership, the reign of Nero? History tells us that the persecution was so fierce towards the Christians living at that time that Nero would not only have them torn apart by lions and wild animals in the Colosseum, but Nero would 
set them up at night on stakes and burn them alive as living torches for his banquets, his social events and affairs. It was tough being a Christian in the first century A.D. as a Roman. The Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark in your Bible is the earliest of the four Gospels. It is the Gospel that both Luke and Matthew based their Gospels upon. The Gospel of Mark was completely written for the Christians living in Rome. Christians facing unemployment, facing persecution, facing death, only because of being a Christian. Mark writes the Gospel of Mark to give them hope. Hope not in something, but someone whose name is Jesus. We're in a three-part series called The Messiah. Last week, we declared to you in an apologetic message, a defense of the faith. I gave you objective proof, proving that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God. Messiah, the Son of God. This morning, we share another word to you on Messiah. This morning, I want you to be aware that Jesus is not only Messiah, Son of God, Savior of the world, but Jesus, the Bible says, is also Lord. Lord of lords and King of kings. The Hebrew word for Lord is Jehovah, or more technically, Yahweh. The Greek word for Lord is Kyrios. Both the Hebrew and the Greek speak of absolute sovereign authority. Did not Jesus say, did not Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. To be overcomers, and that's our theme. You'll see it on the walls and around the church campus. Our theme for 2016 is Overcomers 2016. Read the last book of the Bible seven times. Seven times the Lord says that only overcomers will make it to heaven. It is my job as your pastor to, to inspire you, to instruct you, to equip you to be an overcoming Christian. Not just a namby-pamby, wishy-washy one, but a victorious Christian. To be a champion for God. So as we continue this thought of being an overcomer, we must realize who is Lord. This morning, this morning... I submit to you that there's only one Lord, there's only one champion, there's only one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. How will you respond to this truth? He is Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow our heads. And Lord, we submit to you our hearts and our spirits. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Give us a word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Mark 4, verse 35 in your Bibles or your study guide. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Mark it down with me this morning. Little did the disciples realize Jesus' divine appointment 
on the other side of the lake or Satan's strategy to stop him. Why was Jesus going to the other side of the lake? Because he had a divine appointment. There was someone that he had to meet. Someone he had to encounter. There was someone that was a person of destiny. It was going to be a God thing, a God moment. The disciples didn't realize this. They just obeyed Jesus. They got in the boat with Jesus. As they sailed off, the Bible says, Jesus fell asleep at the back of the boat. Suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a storm buffets and batters that ship. The waves are crashing in, even though four out of the twelve disciples were seasoned fishermen. Panic grips their hearts, and they cry out to Jesus, Master, Master, don't you care? We're about to drown. Jesus could have rolled over. He didn't. Jesus could have told him to be quiet. He didn't. Jesus stood up in the midst of the boat and said, Peace! Be still! As he rebuked the wind and the waves. In our vernacular, it would be as though Jesus spoke to the storm and said, Shut up! Very interesting when you read the original language, the Greek language there. The word rebuked, for the Bible says Jesus rebuked the storm, tells us where the storm came from. The word that Jesus uses, he rebuked the storm, is the same Greek word that is used every time Jesus casts a demon out of a person. That lets us know, that gives us great indication that this storm was no meteorological, natural event, but that this storm was a satanic storm. Satan was trying to kill Jesus and his disciples. But Messiah is Lord. And he has all authority in heaven and in earth. How much does that leave old Slewfoot? Nada, zero, zilch, uh, Nothing. And Jesus rebuked the satanic storm and declares to the storm with his spoken word, Peace, be still. And the Bible says an immediate calm came in. Now that's another interesting uh, word technically in the Greek. It is the same phrase and expression that is used to blowing out a candle. It was not a gradual cessation of the wind and the waves. It was not a gradual calm that ensued, but it was as though the master of the wind and the waves, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, blew out the candle. And that's what he can do for you and I when Satan buffets and batters and bruises and beats us up one side and the other, are you experiencing a satanic storm this morning? Something as uncontrollable and impossible and penetrable as a natural storm e event. Jesus can command 
the most difficult, the most unruly, the most impossible thing in your life or my life. Stop focusing on your storms. Start reaching out to the one who is in your boat. His name is Jesus. He is Messiah, Son of God, Savior of the world, and Lord of lords and King of kings. Let him speak peace. Be still to the storm in your life. Hey, quit complaining to God about your storm and start declaring to your storm how big your God is. Hallelujah. Amen. The disciples, their roller coaster ride of satanic storms wasn't over. The Bible says, mark it down. On the other side of the lake, the devil had a surprise for them. The devil had a demonic superman prepared to attack Jesus. Many of you have never heard this account in the Bible before. It's recorded in both Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Mark gives the original account. You see, no sooner had Jesus and the disciples beached their boat when a shrieking wail pierced the twilight hour. They saw a shadowy figure racing towards them out of the, out of the graveyard, onto the beach, screaming. This zombie-like creature, the Bible says, lived among the graves. The only people that could stand his presence were corpses. He lived in the sepulchers. He lived in the caves of the dead. The Bible records for us in three different Gospels every time this demoniac was chained with chains and arrested. He would break his chains as though they were paper mache. But as soon as this nightmarish creature attacks Jesus, it was as though the, the demoniac, this uh, demonic superman, had confronted a force field that was around the presence of Jesus. As he tries to attack Jesus, the Bible says he falls prostrate at the feet of Jesus. And what do we hear? Out of the man, the demon cries out, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus asked, What is your name? Tell me your name. Legion, for we are many. Many of you remember the size of a Roman legion could be upwards to 6,000 soldiers. Mary Magdalene, the Gospels declare, Mary Magdalene had seven demons within her. This man is possessed by thousands. And the demons begged Jesus not to order them into the bottomless pit, they beg Jesus to go into a herd of pigs. And Jesus allows them to go into a herd of pigs. Not a pack of dogs or cats. Pigs. This is a form of an expression of punishment for in the Jewish mind. Pork. A pig 
is the most defiled thing possible. So this is a form of judgment by Jesus. The pigs are possessed by demons and they race off a cliff and dive into the water where they are drowned and killed. Because the enemy, the thief, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Mark chapter 5 verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his what? Right mind. Right mind. This man was so changed and rearranged by the power of the Lordship of Jesus that he wanted to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. He wanted to stay with Jesus. But what did Jesus tell this man who had been healed and delivered? Jesus said in verse 19, Go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things God has done for you and how merciful He has been. Remember, I told you that Jesus had a divine appointment. Remember, I told you that Jesus, it wasn't coincidental that they went from one side of the lake to the other. Now you're going to discover why Jesus had to encounter this man. Jesus said, or the Bible says, so the man started off to visit the what? Ten towns. Ten towns of that region and began to tell everyone about the great things Jesus had done for him. And they were awestruck by his story. This man became the first Billy Graham of Christianity. He became the first evangelist for Jesus. No wonder Jesus had to go across the lake. No wonder Satan tried to stop him with a storm. Nothing happens by coincidence in the Bible. People often make two mistakes regarding the devil and his demons. I often find as a pastor, people often make two basic mistakes. Uh, mistake number one, one extreme is this. They give the devil too much authority and too much power. They look for demons behind every bush. It reminds me uh, of my first year, my freshman year at Christian University. I was walking through the dorm, men's dorm, with one of my friends. And just as we were about to come around a corner, we heard this banging and clanging. It sounded like somebody was tearing apart the Coke machine. We came around the corner, and here was a, a young man, a freshman, praying, praying over the Coke machine, yelling at it, screaming at it. He was spitting and stomping and beating on that Coke machine. We said, what's going on? He said, it won't give me my change back, and I know it's possessed by demons, and I'm casting them out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my, my, my. That's one extreme. The other extreme is people don't believe in the devil and demons at all. Let me tell you, you're open hunting season for old Slewfoot. In fact, when I went for my Master's of Divinity at cemetery, I mean seminary, I ran into some liberals that wanted to relegate this demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5 as a paranoid schizophrenic. Well, I came back and asked them, well, how can a paranoid schizophrenic 
know the name of Jesus, a man he'd never met before. And you read it there in the Bible. He calls him Jesus. How would a paranoid schizophrenic know that he is the Son of God? And you liberals, what went into the pigs if he's a paranoid schizophrenic? Listen, a very, there's a very real Satan. A very real Satan is found in both Old and New Testament. A very real Satan stalks these United States of America. You cannot relegate everything to just uh, the, the, the immorality of man or injustice. There is an evil entity whose power so surpasses you and I that it's an unimaginable power. But let me tell you something. Even though he has all kinds of power, he has no authority. Jesus has all authority. Messiah, he is Lord. For he has all authority in heaven and in earth. A very real Satan is stalking many homes that are here this morning. And you need to hear this word. It's evident that Satan in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5 was trying not only to stop Jesus, he was trying to kill Jesus. Satan came to the realization he's dealing with Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Round one, he tried it with the satanic storm. Round two, he tried it with his demonic Superman. I don't know about you, what does it all add up to? Jesus is champion. The overcomer of overcomers. For now, the demonic Superman is bowing at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Listen. I might be speaking to someone on the video right now. I might be speaking to someone in the pew. It does not matter how addicted you are. It does not matter how perverted you are. It does not matter how deep you have walked into the pit of sin. His grace is greater than all of your sin. And Jesus can rescue you. Jesus can deliver you. Jesus can save you. Bow at His feet. Let Him clothe you in a right mind and in a right soul and spirit. Only Jesus is able to take what was intended for evil and turn it to the good. How? He is your Messiah. He is your Savior. And He is Lord. And there is none other. Hallelujah. But the supreme question this morning, the supreme question that is before us this morning is not, is Jesus Lord? The majority are convinced here this morning that He is. But I ask you this, is He the Lord of your life or simply your Savior? Can I preach to you? Your pastor hasn't preached to you in a long time like this. Let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let me start out with an illustration. A chicken and a pig. We're worried about how the farmers have suffered over a bad harvest. A chicken and a pig thought that they would help Willie Nelson. 
in his concerts for farm aid. The chicken spoke to the pig and said, Chicken, I really believe we need to help those farmers out. They've been good to us. Chicken or pig, I'm going to contribute a bunch of my eggs. And pig, I think you ought to contribute some ham. <laughs> the pig looked at the chicken and said, all you're talking about is a contribution, but what you want from me is total, outright, radical commitment. Making, your, making Jesus, making Jesus, making Jesus your Lord, the Lord of your life, is total, radical, sold-out commitment to Him. The greatest threat to the church today is not the X-rated culture that we're raising our children and our grandchildren in. The greatest threat to the church today is casual Christianity, lukewarm, half-hearted, carnal Christianity that is seeping into our churches right and left. When the church loses its salt, when the church loses its light in this world, then all hell will break loose. But if we see a revival in the church in these United States of America, we see a revival in the church around the world, look out, you're going to see the greatest harvest this world has ever experienced in all Christianity, and I pray for that. How do you tell the difference between a carnal Christian and an overcomer, a committed Christian, who makes Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. I'm going to give these to you real quickly. They'll appear on the screen only. How do you tell the difference? The carnal Christian's first love is self, while the overcomer's first love is Jesus. Jesus said, these are not my words. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more than family. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. Secondly, carnal Christians are characterized by inconsistency. Well, overcomers, oh, they're dependable, they're reliable, they're faithful. A golfer, a golfer showed up 20 minutes late to the first tee. He said, hey, buddy, wh why are you so late? He said, I agreed with my wife to a coin toss. Heads, I go golfing. Tails, I go to church. It took me 20 minutes of flipping that coin to finally get heads that said I go golfing. Carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. Carnal Christians are double-minded. Well, overcomers are faithful. James the Apostle said a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. From heaven's perspective, a spiritual schizo. Why am I faithful to that lovely blonde-haired woman that stood up before you and gave you an announcement this morning? Why am I faithful to her? Is it because of a contract? Is it because of a wedding license? No, I'm desperately in love with her. I'm more in love with her now than ever. She's my best friend. She's my buddy. <laughs> I love hanging out with her. I want to grow old with her. And I am. <laughs> a sure tip-off. A sure tip-off on carnal Christianity is unfaithfulness. 
to the Lord's house, the Lord's ministry, the Lord's cause, a love relationship that is going sour is a sure tip-off to carnal Christianity. It's not only irreverence, it's a tip-off that something's wrong with the love relationship. Oh, mark it down. The carnal Christian's constant prayer is, Give me a blessing! Well, the overcomer prays, Make me a blessing! Carnal Christians, oh, they want the benefits, uh, but not the responsibility. They want the blessings, but not the commitment. You approach a carnal Christian here at Lakeside with a ministry opportunity, uh, an open door to get involved, an open door to do something for Jesus, and they'll look you in the eye and say, can't you find somebody else? Well, the overcomer says, Pastor... Pastor Phil, Pastor Hal, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ben, Pastor Randy, uh, Don Woggy, do you have something for me to do for Jesus? Is there an opportunity for me to be used for Jesus? What can I do for Jesus at Lakeside? Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 15. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much what? Fruit. Fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Most of us grew up with a Wendy's hamburger commercial. Where's the beef? And Jesus is saying, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Carnal Christians are high-maintenance people. Oh, my. Can, can we talk? Can we talk? They're high-maintenance people. I, I, I mean... They're the last ones in church. They're the first ones out. They give the least and they complain the most. They're high maintenance people while overcomers. They shoulder the burden of ministry. They help the pastors. They make ministry a delight. Uh, carnal Christians are dead weight around the neck of the church. They complain about giving, the giving of their time, the giving of talents, the giving of the tithe, while overcomers are excited about giving their all to their Jesus, to their Lord. Carnal Christians, oh yes, uh, carnal Christians are content with merely a head knowledge of God, while overcomers are desperate to know Jesus. They're desperate for a heart knowledge of the lover of their soul. Carnal Christians, they worry about what the world thinks of them. Well, overcomers worry about what God thinks of them. You see, carnal Christianity is when you pick up Jesus hitchhiking on the side of the road and you allow him to be your passenger but you keep doing the driving you don't want Jesus to control your life you just want enough of Jesus to get you to heaven you just want enough of Jesus so you can enjoy the benefits of the kingdom so you can enjoy the benefits of the church but don't ask me to sacrifice don't ask me for dedication don't ask me for commitment don't ask me to be faithful well, overcomers enjoy God's favor both now and throughout eternity because God blesses faithfulness. God blesses obedience. Read the record of obedience and faithfulness in the Word of the Lord. I know I'm stepping on toes. That's okay. Outside of church, let's go a little further. 
outside of church, there's no real difference between the lifestyle of carnal Christians and non-Christians. I've had, I've had the unbelievers come to me and say, Preacher, I can't tell the difference. So why should I be a Christian? They talk like me. They smoke and drink like me. They live like me. There's no difference. Why should I be a Christian? Carnal Christians, they attend church. They hear the word, but they never obey it. They're hearers, not doers of the word. If push comes to shove, they compromise. They cave in. They cop out because they're hypocrites, plastic Christians. Carnal Christians are like sailboats. They go anywhere the wind blows. But overcomers are like motorboats. They can push and go against the current of popular opinion. Again, huh, they care more about what God thinks than what people think. You hear me in this? I'm talking about carnal Christianity, and I'm talking about overcomers. How will you choose? How would you choose? Overcomers, because Jesus is their Lord. They respect Jesus as Lord. They make Him the driver of the car of their life. So they go where Jesus would go. They say what Jesus would say. They do what Jesus would do. They, they are what Jesus would have them be because their prayer is, Jesus be Jesus in me. No longer me but Thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. I know this is a hard word this morning. But I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to Him. And He has said in Matthew chapter 16, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross. That means die to self. The cross is an instrument of death. It's not a piece of jewelry. Take up the cross and follow me. And follow me. And follow me. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not a tiptoe through the tulips. It's not for sissies. It's not for wimps. It takes a real man. It takes a real woman to stand up and declare, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. I will be sold out to Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. Is He Lord? Is He Lord? Is He the Lord of your life or are you merely content to make Him your Savior? Are you just traveling along with us because you want eternal life insurance? I'm telling you, it doesn't work out that way. So what does it all add up to? Carnal Christians might know Jesus as their Savior. But only overcomers know Him as their Lord. I remind you the blessings are only promised for the faithful. The rewards are only passed out to the faithful. The Bible says that many, many will come in that day crying out, Lord, Lord, Lord! And He will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. You worker of iniquity. I know this is a hard word. I know I haven't preached like this in a long time. 
But honey, sir, ma'am, I'm not in the automotive business. I'm not in the medical business, the education business. I'm not in finance. I'm a pastor. That means I'm in the eternity business. And I'm called by God to prepare you for eternity. And I don't want any surprises. I don't want any of you in eternity coming back on me and saying, you did not give me the truth. You did not share with me about tomorrow. I want to be found faithful. And this morning, hear the word of the Lord. He's calling us to the overcoming lifestyle. He's calling us to be committed Christians, not merely carnal Christians. Know Him as Lord, not just as your Savior. Upon Jesus and His disciples' return to Capernaum, they're confronted once again by more satanic inventions. Mark it down. They're confronted with sorrow and sickness. And again, the question is, in round number three, will Jesus be Lord? Mark chapter 5, verse 22, the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, came and fell down before Jesus, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. There's nothing more tragic when then your child is dying. She is at the point of death, he said in desperation. Please come and place your hands on her and make her live. Mark emphasizes that Jesus had to squeeze through the crowds. I've been to Capernaum. I've seen how narrow the streets are that Jesus walked in. Jesus is rubbing shoulders with the crowd, squirming his way through. Jairus is hurrying him along when all of a sudden Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? Who touched me? The disciples look at the Master and think, Has he lost his mind? Even Luke, uh, Dr. Luke in his Gospel records this. Luke records Jesus saying, no, it was someone who deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Who was it that touched Jesus? This is a miraculous interlude. A woman back in her home heard that Jesus was in town. This woman had suffered with a hemorrhaging, a bleeding condition for 12 years. The Bible records that she had spent all of her finances on doctors. She was left impoverished and destitute, and she was none the better. Anybody relate with that? You've spent all your money on doctors, and you're none better. Not only is she financially impoverished, but if you understand the Mosaic Levitical law, any person that had a bleeding condition was defiled. That meant she was quarantined, quarantined to her home. Anyone that she would touch or that would touch her would be automatically defiled as well. Her family and friends were not allowed to visit with her lest they would be defiled. She was not allowed to go to the church of her day, the Jewish synagogue. She was 
excommunicated from the presence of God. This woman's condition is far more than physical. There's emotional and spiritual scar tissue. But she says within herself, if I can but touch him, I shall be made whole. That tells me something about faith. That tells me something about miracles. Miracles are first conceived in the spirit before they're birthed in the flesh. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, the Bible says, you'll see it when you believe it. Can you birth it? Uh, this morning, what is your greatest need? Uh, this morning, what is your greatest miracle need? Can you birth it in the Spirit? Can you see it through the eye of faith? Can you conceive it even right now in the name of Jesus, who is Lord of lords and King of kings, if I can but touch Him? She reaches out and touches the hem of the, his garment. She's instantly made whole. But immediately, immediately she needs more. She needs more than a physical healing. Because now she's consumed with fear. Because who has she touched? And she has defiled. She has defiled Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Oh, I love this. What does the lover of your soul do? Jesus turns around. I said, Jesus turns around. And in Mark 5, 34, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She touched Jesus and received a physical healing. But now he touches her with a spoken word, a spoken word that she desperately needs more than a physical healing because she needs an emotional, psychological, relational, spiritual healing and a spoken word from the Master. Peace is given as Jesus touches her for Messiah is Lord. I want you to know here at Lakeside Assembly of God, we subscribe, we preach and teach that God is still in the miracle and the healing business. We don't view it as theoretical or hypothetical. We stand upon the truth of God's Word, both Old Testament and New Testament in this. Quickly, I want to give you five reasons, because I'm more than a preacher. I am a teacher. Five reasons why we believe in divine healing. We believe in miracles because Jesus performed the miraculous in the past. And He's our unchanging God. The Old Testament says, I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. In the New Testament, we hear Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. People change. Churches change. Doctrines change. But our God does not change. Jesus is still in the healing business. What He did before, He can do it again. Amen. Secondly, healing is God's will for our lives. Never once in the pages of the Bible will you ever, ever read that it's God's will for you to be sick. You can't find it. If you can find it, point it out to me. It's not in the book. But over and over and over again, you'll read that it's God's will for you to be healed and made whole. Who is the author of sickness? Satan is. And what did Jesus say about Satan? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, for the purpose, this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. John said that he might destroy the works of the... That includes 
sickness. Jesus has come to destroy it. Number three, Jesus has paid the price for our healing through his atoning work at the cross. At the cross of Calvary, when Jesus shed his blood, I want you to know that Jesus died not only for your sins, but he also paid the price for your healing. My Bible and your Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. Uh, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. It's been paid for and it's been paid for in full. Amen. The same Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus with healing power is still in the church today. Jesus did not heal people or perform miracles through his divine nature as the Son of God. Jesus healed and performed the miraculous through the power of the third person of the Holy Trinity. In Luke 4.18, we hear Jesus himself say in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach deliverance to the captives, to proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor. This day, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus is still in His church today. Number five, healing is one of God's marvelous promises. The Bible says, Paul the Apostle taught, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. You mean to tell me all the promises of God are yes and amen, but not healing? Not miracles? No, a thousand times no. James chapter 5 verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Uh, Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We've had a series of miracles take place recently here at Lakeside Assembly of God. Series of healings and deliverances. Because of my time, just real quickly, Roberta Short, raise your hand. Amen. The doctors said brain aneurysm and surgery. And uh, we went to prayer for a solid week. And uh, the doctors... As the deciding factor was made at U of M, I believe, University of Michigan, the head surgeon, he looked at Roberta over and said, no surgery. We'll just keep an eye on it. It's so minuscule and small. Amen. 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 Uh, Ida Mistretta, praise the Lord, last, uh, around Christmas time or late fall, I got the call, Pastor. Pastor, I'm not telling anybody. Pastor, I'm not even telling my family. Pastor, but it looks like lung cancer. They're talking lung cancer. Many know that in the natural, that can be a death death knell there with that. And uh, we went to prayer. 
She went through all the examinations, all the tests. Turned out to be fungus. <laughs> and something that can be easily, easily treated. And yes, I got permission to share that story. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I had two, two. I mean, this is fresh out of the oven this morning. I'm racing over to preach in Solid Rock Cafe, our, our, our second Sunday morning service, and uh, I, I met a, uh, a new uh, attender at a church by the name of Mark, and then also attending uh, our chapel service is Marietta, who attends my Wednesday night class. Uh, and, and Marietta has just testified openly in our class. She's been a smoker since her teen years, and uh, she made it a matter of prayer. Lord, deliver, you deliver demons out of people. Deliver me from this demon called nicotine. I need deliverance. I need a miracle. Hasn't smoked since late fall. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I met Mark. I wasn't asking for this. He stopped me. I never met the man before since this morning. He said, Pastor, I have been a smoker for more than 40 years, bound by this habit of nicotine. Do you realize nicotine, I have been told, is a worse addiction than heroin? He said, I've been bound for over 40 years at Christmas time. I prayed a prayer. I wrote it down. I put it under the Christmas tree for a deliverance, for a miracle from nicotine. I haven't picked up a cigarette since. I stand delivered. It's a miracle, Pastor. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is in the miracle business. Let there be no doubt here this morning. Lastly, Jesus had proven his lordship over disaster, demons, disease. But does he have authority over our greatest enemy of all? Death. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, it's the worst thing a parent could ever hear. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, what did he say to the Father? Do not be afraid. Only believe. And that's the Lord's operative word to many of you this morning. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. As they arrive at the home of this father and mother, the professional mourners were already there. Jesus gets that negative spirit out of the house. He takes Peter, James, and John and the parents into the room and he sees the little girl and he says in Aramaic, which was the language of the day, in Aramaic, Jesus says, Talitha Kumai, as he reaches out and touches her. He says in English, he said, Little lamb, uh, wake up. And her eyes opened. She sat up. She's alive. It's a miracle. As he spoke a word, wake up uh, and raised her from the dead. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Uh, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because we know who holds the future. And life is worth the living. Just because he lives. Jesus, 
He is Lord. <laughs> he is Lord over the storm, over the disasters. He is Lord over demons and the devil. He's Lord over disease. And He's Lord over death. Someday, 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 mark it down. <laughs> some days the skies will unzip. <laughs> and He will say what He said to this little girl. He will say what He said to Lazarus dead for four days in the tomb he will say to every child he will say to every son and daughter of the most high God who's lying asleep in the tomb he will say wake up wake up I've come home come home with me I've returned wake up he will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead will rise up and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with Jesus forevermore. Hallelujah. What a day that will be when our Jesus says, wake up, uh, wake up. Uh, and every tomb uh, that embodies every Christian, whether it's in the ground or in the sea, will spew forth uh, the dead who are sleeping, dead overcomers, who on that day will stand before him and they will hear, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Welcome home. So there it is. No matter if it's disaster, demons, disease, or death, do you know that you know that you know that you know there's only one Lord, and His name is Jesus the Messiah. And so I ask you this morning, what has the enemy said is dead in your life, in your experience? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it your marriage? Is it your children or your grandchildren? What is it that the enemy would like to rob you of your joy in? What is it that he'd like to whisper in your ear and say, give up praying, give up hope. It's useless. It's dead. I declare to you upon the authority of Holy Scripture this morning that there is only one Lord. Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Like Jairus of old, invite Jesus into your dead situation. Write it down. Let him say, Talitha Kumai, to you. Let Jesus, your Messiah, your living Lord, let him touch you this morning. Would you let him touch you this morning? Lee Traxler is coming to end this word this morning. Would you let him, would you let Jesus speak a word to you? Would you let him reach out and touch the very thing the enemy would like to say is dead. He'll make it alive. Shackled by a heavy
you by faith but Lord we also need your touch heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning I'm going to give an opportunity for healing and for miracles here this morning but as some have already come this morning perhaps perhaps you're here this morning and you need the greatest miracle of all the miracle of a heart change <laughs> where Jesus becomes the Savior of your soul the Lord of your life this morning you recognize you're not right with God you recognize that you need a home in heaven 
you recognize that your name, you're not sure if it's written the Lamb's book of life in heaven and you want to be sure. This morning, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm just going to give you a quick opportunity right now. If you want to say yes to Jesus, no one will embarrass you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This does not mean being a member of this church or any religion. It's all about Jesus. If you want to say yes to Jesus, just lift up your hand right now. Just lift it up. God bless you. 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 Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Keep those hands lifted up. Keep those hands lifted up. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Pray this prayer with me right now. Everyone pray this prayer out loud. Especially those who have their hands lifted up. Would you pray it? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I've sinned. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Lord. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Lord, for hearing me for changing me, for cleansing me. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. I receive this as I believe it. Amen.